0: Good morning, well, that, was, that was rough, <laughs> they rough night, is that what it was, uh, rough night, wow, <laughs> good morning, good to see all of you come out this morning, I, I appreciate all of you that uh, were able to get up this morning be here with us, and uh, I know that um, everybody that's here, there's a purpose and a reason as to why you're here, and I'm praying that before you leave this morning that you hear from God what that is, and that you are different today, not because it's January 1st, but you are different today because of the Word of God and the change that it's going to make in your life. That's my prayer today. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Revelations, chapter three. Revelations, chapter three, verses one through six. You don't have to stand this morning. I'm gonna. Uh, we're not going to read that right away, but that's where we're going to. Um, that's where we're going to be. You know, January first is the day that everyone gets to begin again, right? This is the day that we get our fresh start and we get to make these changes that need to be made in our lives. And um, so I've got a question for each of you. How many of you will be honest with me this morning and tell me that you still haven't fulfilled what you resolved to do in 2015? Okay, so you're still working on that, all right. What about 2014. So we we can keep going back. You know, the the good news that I have for you this morning, (laughs) the good news that, that everybody needs to hear this morning is that January 1st is not the only day that you get to begin again. Now, I think it's great that in our calendar and in the timeline that God has given us, I think it's awesome that He gives us specific dates that make our minds at least go to the fact that I need to self-evaluate. I think it's good that we get to an end of a season of some kind and it causes us to look at ourselves and reflect and make some changes. So again, this is not a bad thing. So no matter what I say this morning, I don't want you to hear that I'm knocking anybody for making resolutions. I think it's great to resolve to do things in your life. But I want you to understand something. January 1st is not the only day that you have to make changes and to start fresh in your life. I want to show you a passage of Scripture. You don't have to turn there. You keep your place in Revelation chapter 3. But in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 24, this is the prophet Jeremiah, and he is literally sitting on top of a mountain is what historians believe. He's sitting on top of a little mountainside watching Israel burn to the ground. Watching Jerusalem burn. He is watching the uh, all the prophecies that God has given him about the destruction of this city if his people don't turn from their sin. He's literally sitting here and he's watching it now come to pass. And he is in deep anguish as he's having to watch this with his own eyes. And here are some of the words that he says. He's talking to God. He says, God, please remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And here's what he calls to mind that gives him hope. Listen to this very closely. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is the faithfulness of God. Listen to me. Even when it looked like it had come to the very end and the place was being destroyed, and Jeremiah is sitting there having to watch it take place. He's watching it all just being torn down by God because of the sin of the people. And even in all of his sorrow, he looks at it all and he says, you know what, as bad as it hurts, I still got hope. And it's only because of one thing. I know that his love is steadfast and it never ceases. And I know that His mercies are new every morning. And if Jeremiah had known what we know today, he would know that Christ Jesus has actually said to all of His children that if we will just confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our our unrighteousness. So... That tells me that while Jeremiah may have made the statement that his mercies are new every morning, an even truer statement is this. His mercies are new the moment that you are willing to confess your sin to him. That moment. Not January 1st, not the next morning, or not when you lay down your head tonight. The moment that you are willing to stop and say, Lord did it again, here I am again. And the moment that you're willing to do that, Jeremiah wants to remind you of this this morning. His love is steadfast. You know what that means? His love is steadfast. In other words, his love never ceases. It keeps going and going. The Energizer Bunny ain't got nothing on the love of God, all right? It keeps going and going and going and His mercies are new every moment that you are willing to see your sin, confess your sin, and ask Him for His forgiveness. And Jesus Christ is our righteousness—nothing but the blood. That's my plea for my pardon. This my plea—nothing but the blood of Jesus, because I got nothing else to offer. I got nothing else to bring. So again, uh, here's what I want to make sure: If you don't get nothing else from this sermon this morning, I want you to get this. As you enter into 2017, I don't want you to work harder. I don't want you to try harder. Y'all got to stay with me, all right? I don't want you to work harder. I don't want you to try harder. I want to show you a better way than you trying to work, 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 and try, try, try. And the harder you try, what does it seem like happens? I don't want you to work harder. I don't want you to try harder. I want to show you a better way, and I'm going to show it to you from the example of the church in Revelations chapter 3. We're going to uh, read that in just a moment. But before, again, before we go to there, stay there with me. I want to give you just a little bit of history on this church so that you know. Uh, it always helps me to understand the letter that is written if, um, if I know the history. But let me read the letter, then I'll give you the history. Revelations chapter 3, verse 1. It says, and to the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God, keep that in mind because we're going to go back to that, and the one that has the seven stars. And that was speaking, we know from Revelations chapter 1, that is actually speaking of the pastors or the messengers of the church, the ones who were delivering God's word. Jesus is basically saying this, don't shoot the messenger. I hold him in my hand. That's basically what he's saying. I'm fixing to deliver you some rough news. I'm fixing to show you the era of your way, but don't shoot the messenger. This is the words of him who has the seven spirits of God, and this is the words of him who holds the seven stars, or the seven pastors, as Revelation chapter 1 taught us. He says, I know your works. I know your works. I see everything. I know that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And look at this next part. If you will not, wake up. So there's still hope, right? Everybody say, there's still hope. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will... Look at that. The one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments and I will never blot His name out of the book of life. So before we start getting into all this theology that makes you ask the question, what well, does this mean that I can lose my salvation? Does this mean that I can actually be trusting full in faith in God today, and then tomorrow it go away? Listen to what he says. To the one who conquers, in other words, he who finishes the race shall be saved. He who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. So in other words, the evidence that your faith is genuine is that you conquer. It's not that you lose some battles. It's not that you fall down a million times. It's that you keep fighting, you keep fighting, you keep fighting, and in the end, because of the blood of Jesus, you conquer. So it's about how often you keep getting back up. And he says, that will be the evidence of the one that actually had the true faith in my name. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. But instead, I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He who has an ear... Everybody in here got an ear? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says... To the churches, to give you just a little bit of understanding about what this letter is, I want to show you just a few pictures and talk to you about this place called Sardis. Sardis is one of the seven churches in Asia Minor. It is a major city, but it's a smaller city, and it's a rich city because it has this river that runs basically around it. It acts as um, sort of like a moat, I guess you call it, if you were in medieval times but it's this river that runs around the city and it is filled with gold-rich sand. It is actually believed that Sardis is the first place in the world that coins were ever minted. So if you do some research on Sardis, you may even come across some history that says it is very likely that this was the place where coinage, I guess you could say as far as money goes, was actually invented, was in Sardis many, many years before Christ, but I'm going to talk to you about those years here in just a minute. They say that farmers there still find coins every time they plow the fields today because of all the coins that were minted from the gold and also the silver that they mined in in this place. So this was a mountainous area where they were mined silver and had a river that was just rich in the sand with gold. And then I want to show you the pictures. If you can go through those pictures for me real quick. This right here is the ruins of Sardis. Now I'm showing you these pictures because as I've done for the last few weeks, I want you to understand one thing. When we read these Bible Scriptures to you, we don't begin them with once upon a time in a land far, far away. I want you to understand that whenever I present this stuff to you, this is a real place, these were real people... I'm giving you real names of real historical events and facts that took place. And Sardis is a real place with a real letter to real Christians in a real city. This is part of the ruins of Sardis. If you'll notice that high mountainside up at the top behind the ruins, there was a lower city and there was an upper city called the Acropolis. In the lower city you had things like, uh, and I'll show you pictures of those here in a minute, you had things like Roman baths, you had the the gymnasium to where they came and they did their sports and their training. Um, And you had things like um, a Jewish synagogue was there, you had a theater, you had a temple. This is actually the remains of a temple that was to a god that they worshipped that was called Artemis. Artemis was the, if those of you that are familiar with any uh, Greek mythology, if you'll remember, Zeus was supposedly the king of the gods. Well, Apollo was the son of Zeus or the son of God and that's why Jesus addressed Himself the way He did in uh, Thyatira as we studied a few weeks ago. But then Artemis was the twin sister to Apollo, so she was the daughter of God. And they worshipped Artemis in this place, and had a great temple and a big altar. Um, there was a actually a Christian church over on the far left, uh, the left-hand front corner, down at the bottom corner. That little building there was a actually a Christian church that they found the remains to. Go on to the next picture. At the top of that mountain in the back that you see back there was the upper city. Now, I'm getting to a point. This is this is vital. The lower city was not protected very well. If it came in and people tried to conquer it, it could very easily be conquered. But they could retreat to the upper fort, and basically, this was a place that had mountains that were, I think, 1500 feet high, and then all the way around it, not only, if you can see on that mountainside on the left-hand corner, you can barely see a wall that's still standing. There were walls that went all the way around this mountainside. It was impenetrable. You could not break through this place. It was only broken through twice in all of history before it was finally destroyed by an earthquake. But that was the only thing that finally brought this down. Go to the next picture. This is uh, the Roman baths I was telling you about. And basically... There would be sections to where there would be a place to where they would put some water in it, and it was the, everybody came take baths together, I guess. I don't know. Uh, We're not Romans, so we don't do it that way. Go on to the next slide. This was the gymnasium and this this yard in front of it here was uh, basically where they would be out working out and training and a lot of people would be uh, maybe gladiators or whatever would be training in this place or people that ran the races or whatever they did, they would train in this gymnasium. Go on to the next one. This is a little closer up image of that mountainside that I was telling you about. Go on to the next one. That's another image of it. I just downloaded a few pictures of it. I don't remember. This is a little closer up view of what that mountain looked like. They were 1500 feet tall and pretty much straight up. I mean, you really can't imagine climbing these things, okay? So whenever a troop would come and they would retreat to the, um, to the fortress here, basically they just had to sit down there and wait them out. Because there was only one path that went up. Go to my next picture and see if that shows me the path. Yeah. So right there you can see this is a section of one of the walls that sit on top of it that still left while the earthquake destroyed it. And there was just one little path and a little road that went up and these walls would have normally went all the way around and basically you could set just a little troop of soldiers in front of these gates that would have been here and nobody's coming through because this is the only section that they had to come through unless they were able to scale the walls in some way, which they couldn't do. But in 549 B.C., so almost 600 years before Christ comes, there is a king called King Croesus, And he built this fortified Acropolis up here. And he, he built it because he knew they had to have a place of refuge. They were a rich city and they were often under attack. But in 549 BC, he received a prophecy from an oracle that a mighty fortress would be defeated. Now he thought the, the, the uh, prophecy was for him about defeating someone else. So he goes down in the valley and he fights against a Persian king, King Cyrus. Some of y'all may have heard of him. And he had to retreat because he was defeated in the lower city. So he goes up to the fortress. And he was so proud of his fortress that he built and he didn't think anybody could break in that he didn't even post guards at most of, of the walls. Basically, he told him, he said, don't worry about it. Shut the gates, put some guards here and everybody go to sleep. They'll go away." So for 14 days, this army of Persians sat down and waited them out. And the story goes, and this is is supposed to be a historical event that actually happened. The story goes that there was a soldier from Sardis that that looked over on top of the wall to see if the troops were still down there. And when he went and he looked over the wall, his helmet fell off. And there was a soldier from the Persians who saw it happen. And he sat there and he watched him. And he said that he watched as a little bit later this man came out at the bottom of the mountain. And he realized there must be some kind of a secret door or something. And so he comes out the bottom of the mountain, he gets his helmet, he goes back in, and then they go back to sleep. Well, later that night, this soldier and King Cyrus actually sent soldiers in to find this crack or this secret door and they found it. And they went in while the city of Sardis was sleeping and they opened the gates right there and they let all the Persian army come in and this is the way that they were defeated. They came in at an hour they didn't expect and they came in like a thief in the night and they came in while they were sleeping. So whenever you get to the letter here, you're going to find out why Jesus says to them, wake up. And if you don't wake up, I'm going to come in like this. But then there was another time in somewhere around 190 B.C. that there was another event. Very shortly with it, there was a wall that they noticed there were vultures that were always around. These vultures never left. After a little investigation, they come to find out that they had learned their lesson and they guarded every wall now except that wall. They went around to that wall and they realized it was the wall where they threw the dead over. Instead of keeping them in the city of the fortress there, if somebody died, they would take them and they would throw them over the wall. And so nobody guarded that wall except for the vultures. And so in, I think, 195 B.C., there was, um, there was another king of, the, of Greece that came in. And they scaled that wall because no one was watching. And again, they were sleeping at this time. They scaled the wall, they came in, and they conquered the city. Only two times was this place ever conquered. Do I have one more picture? I don't remember if I have another one or not. Um, That was a picture of the Jewish synagogue that was actually there as well. So again, that's just a little bit of history so that you can better understand this letter. Now let's go back to the letter. Let's read it again. He says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. He says, I know your works, you have a reputation, and it looks like you are a live church. But let me tell you what I know. I know that actually you're a mausoleum. You know what a mausoleum is? A mausoleum is this structure that they build, and it it looks good. It looks good, and it's beautiful. It has this stonework that's beautiful on the outside, but inside of it is what? Dead people's bones is what's inside of it. And here's the thing that Jesus is telling them. I know that you have a reputation of being a church. I know your works. And I know that people look around at you and they go, Wow, that's a good church. But let me tell you something. It wasn't about how hard they worked. It wasn't about how hard they tried. It wasn't about how good they did. Because Jesus looked at His church and said, I know the reputation you have. It's a great reputation. But I know that actually you're dead. And Jesus hates this. In just a couple of passages of Scriptures, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 and 28, He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. The scribes and the Pharisees were the people of God, the Jewish people of God at this time. They would have been basically like um, the pastors and the teachers of the church, is what they were. And He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also, outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So there we see that Jesus, He literally hated people who bared the name of God, and yet The way that they actually lived and served God was just like whitewashed tombs. It looked good on the outside, but He knew what they actually were on the inside. And here's what Jesus is trying to say, honestly. I wish that you didn't bear the name at all if you're not going to actually live it out. Because people see it, and you may carry it on for a little while, but what is done in the darkness eventually what? It's seen in the light. It comes to the light. And so Jesus is basically saying, I wish you didn't bear my name at all or even didn't even do any works at all other than to bear my name and be a whitewashed tomb. And then in Matthew chapter 21 verse 19, the Bible tells us that Jesus was hungry and He walked through and He saw a fig tree by the side of the road and He went to it And he found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. He was hungry. And from a distance, that tree had leaves. And it looked like it had something good to eat from it. But when he got up to it to actually eat from it, what did it have? Nothing but leaves. And what did Jesus do to it? He killed it. He made it wither. He said, I wished that you didn't even have leaves. I wish that you didn't bear no fruit at all if you're not going to actually bear the fruit that I am trying to produce in you. Again, don't forget, I'm not telling you to try harder. I'm not telling you to do better. I'm not telling you to work strong, to, to, to be stronger, to work harder. I'm getting to it here in a minute of what he's trying to tell this church. So in Revelations chapter 3, it's the the same way with most of this church. From the outside, they looked like everything was great and everything was Christ-like and going the way that it should. But Christ knew they were dead. So let's answer the question. What makes a church dead? Is a church dead because it bears no fruit? Well, was the fig tree dead because it bore no fruit? No. had leaves. looked like it did. It wasn't that it wasn't bearing no fruit. And as a matter of fact, the church in Sardis had a reputation that they were bearing fruit. They were doing things. They were working hard. They were trying hard. They were doing a lot of Christ-like things. But He told them, you're dead. So it wasn't the lack of fruit that made them to be dead. Is it dead? Because it's giving in to persecution like some of these other churches we've studied. Is it dead because it's giving in to persecution? Well, there's no mention of any persecution in this church and every other letter we've had, if there has been, there's been a mention of it. I don't understand why there would be any persecution in this church because it has a great reputation where it's at. So why is anybody going to persecute it? So more than likely, it's not because it's being persecuted and it's giving in to persecution. That's not why it's dead. There's no mention of false teachers being tolerated like we studied in Thyatira. So it's not dead because there's bad doctrine or there's bad teaching going on. There's there's no mention of tolerating any particular sin in the church or, or compromising with the world. So it's not that this church has a special sin that it just can't seem to get away from. It's not that there's a compromise that it's made and it's decided to make an agreement with this. And you know what I mean by that. How many of us have something in our lives that we know don't belong, but we make that agreement with it and we say, listen, I know you don't belong, but I like you. So I want to hang on to you just a little bit longer. That's a compromise. That's what I'm talking about. And so it's not that that makes the church dead. It's not dealing with a tolerating a particular sin. There's no mention of bad theology, false doctrine. Jesus calls all of these things out in the other churches. So if that were the case, would he not call it out here? But he doesn't. So what makes the church dead? And here's what I come up with. What makes the church dead is being cut off or separating itself from the source of life. What killed the fig tree? A lot of people say, well, Jesus filled the fig tree. Well, yeah, He cursed it. But what killed the fig tree was Jesus cut it off from its source of life. If the source of life gets cut off, then death is the only thing that can come. But I don't want you to forget this one thing. Churches are made up of individuals. So what is it that kills a church? It's not all these other things we're talking about. It's when individuals are cut off or separate themselves from the source of life. And when you do that, there is no other choice but death to come. And so let's look a little bit deeper about how we do that. What is the source of life for individual Christians? Well, notice in this letter, go back to the intro of verse 1. To the angel of the church... In Sardis right, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. Now every intro to every church that we study, this is number five I think, and every intro that we have seen, Jesus identifies himself as exactly what this church needs from him in order to come out of what they're dealing with or get through whatever it is that they're going through. For instance, in Ephesus, the first church, He was the one who walked among the church and was still in love with them even though they had left their first love. So he identifies himself as the one who walks among them and my presence is still with you even though you've left your first love. For Smyrna, he identifies himself as the one who died and came to life. And remember, his message to them was, you're about to suffer persecution and you may even have to face death. So that's why he introduces himself. He says, listen, this is the words of the one who died and came to life. In other words, I'm the one that's already went through the persecution and suffering and died for it. And I'm also the one that had the power to give life again. So don't fear suffering. So again, he introduces himself for exactly what they need. To Pergamum, which was the third church, he is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. In other words, he's the one who has either the words of life that can change them or the words of judgment that can cut them down. It can go either way for them depending on how they respond to it. So that's the way he introduced himself there. To Thyatira, the fourth church, he was the Son of God who has eyes like fire and feet like burnished bronze. And remember, Thyatira was the church who worshipped Apollo or the Son of God, the Son of Zeus. And so he comes on the scene and he says, I am the Son of God. So every introduction he has a reason for why he introduces himself. So he had introduced himself here in Sardis as the one who has the seven spirits of God. So what are these? Well, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, look at what it says. He says, "...and between the throne and the four living creatures..." And don't get caught up in the details here. "...and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It had seven horns and seven eyes." which are the seven spirits of God, and here's the key part I want you to understand, they are sent out into all the earth. So let's try to put the pieces together. We've got the Lamb that was slain. Who's the Lamb that was slain? Jesus Christ. Blood was shed for mine and your sins. The Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And the Lamb has the seven spirits of God that He has sent out into the world. Now go with me to Isaiah chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. I'll have it for you. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse? David's father, right? And what did the prophecy say the Messiah would come from? The seed of David. So th- a there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit And the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of Yahweh, this was the proper name of God, the fullness of God. So the Spirit of all that God is will rest upon Him. So it's talking about Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And so one of the things that we see here is this. All of the fullness of God's Spirit, He identifies them in seven different ways. And He wants you to understand that this is a Spirit that that gives you wisdom. This is a Spirit that gives you understanding. This is a Spirit that's sent out in order to counsel you. This is a Spirit that is sent out in order to teach you all of the ways of God, in order to be all that God is to you. This is a Spirit of God that gives you knowledge and teaches you how to fear the Lord. So basically, here's what He's saying. Jesus comes on the scene of Revelation and He's saying, I am the one who has what you need and what you have been cut off from that makes you dead. I'm not telling you you need to try harder. I'm not telling you you need to work harder. I'm telling you that you need to listen to what I have given you. That is the Spirit of Almighty God. He teaches you. He counsels you. He gives you understanding. It is what Jesus gives to every believer. For you to see that, go to John chapter 14 with me. You don't have to turn there again. I'll read them to you or they'll be up on the board from you. But in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, we'll read through these rather quickly. If you love me... You will keep My commandments. This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor it knows Him. Let me tell you, I understand that statement better today than I ever have. I remember the time in my life that that somebody would have talked to me about the Spirit of God, and I might have went, you know, I'm not really sure I know what you're talking about. I know Him today. I hear Him. Now, He don't audibly speak to me. I'm not telling you I hear voices in my head, okay? But He does speak to me. And I know when He's teaching me. And I know when He's guiding me. And I know when He's counseling me. And Jesus is telling me, if you would just connect yourself back to the source of life that I've given you, you won't be dead. You'll be alive. Let's keep reading. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I get that. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will make myself known to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the traitor, but Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will make yourself known to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Marquette, highlight, underline, whatever you need to do. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But is Jesus still with us today? Verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. So here's what Jesus is trying to get across one more time. He wants them to understand that this church is not dead because it's not working hard enough. It's not dead because it's not trying hard enough. It doesn't just need to do better or be better. This is important because today's January 1st and there will be many, many Christians that will go, I've just got to do better this year. I've just got to try harder. I've got to work harder. And I'm going to tell you something, the harder you work and the harder you try to do this, the harder you try this, the more you're going to fall down and the more you're going to fail. But if you will recognize and understand that He has sent you a helper who has the spirit of wisdom, who has the spirit of understanding, who has the spirit of knowledge, who has the spirit of counsel, who has the spirit of strength and might, have you realized yet that there are many things in your life that you're not strong enough to overcome? I'm still realizing that. God, I I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) I'm doing everything I can to to fight this with everything in me. And you know what God said? God said, why don't you connect to the Helper? Why Why don't you quit trying so hard and start listening to the Helper and just start obeying Him? He's the Spirit of strength that will give you the power He'll bring into remembrance all the things that Christ is teaching you. He will point you and counsel you in the direction you need to go. But see, here's the problem. Too many times we listen to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. Y'all didn't catch that. Too many times we listen to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. We listen to ourselves that says, I just can't do this. It's too hard for me. It's too tough. Instead of actually reminding myself, i got to help her. God promised me, and He is not a God who, can't, who will lie. God promised me that He's not going to leave me like an orphan. He is giving me everything I need, the seven spirits of all that He is, in order to make sure that I have everything I need to just follow Him. Not to be better, not to try harder, to work harder, but to just listen and obey. See, that's the problem. We listen to us instead of preaching to ourselves and reminding ourselves there's another voice that we have pushed to the side. And that's exactly what has happened in this church. Let me give you an example of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Look at the way that Paul addresses this. He says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the heart. Here, I'm going to try to put this in layman's terms for you. He's basically saying when all you had was the Old Testament and commandments do this, don't do this, basically you had a picture of if a person could actually fulfill all of this law, then you can see a glimpse of what God looks like. If you had one person that could actually keep all of the commandments of God, then you could see a glimpse of what God looks like so when Moses is read a veil lies over their hearts but when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed when he quits trying to follow this list of do's and don'ts and he thinks I got to do this I got to do this I got to do this and when he stops and he throws his hands up and says God I surrender to you, the Lamb who died for my sins, the one in whom my righteousness is found, nothing in and of myself, nothing I can do. But when one turns to the Lord, look what happens. The veil is removed. In other words, you can see clearly. There's nothing separating you from seeing God for who He is in Jesus Christ. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the what? The Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You want to be free. If you want to be free in two thousand seventeen, all you got to do is listen to the Spirit, listen to His counsel, listen to His teaching, listen to His wisdom, listen to His to the Spirit of His power and His might, and to let Him teach you the fear of the Lord. And then in verse eighteen. And we all who have turned to the Lord with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. You know why? When you turn to the Lord, He is the image of the invisible God. When you gaze upon Jesus Christ and you look at all of His ways, there's no veil. You see the Lord for exactly who He is in Jesus Christ. But look what it says next. We with unveiled face are being transformed into... The what? The same image from one degree of glory to another. It don't happen overnight. You still mess up. You still fall down. You still find yourself going, God, what reason do you have to forgive me this time? Here I am again. I've done it again. And here's what He says to you. It's from one glory to another. Get up, let's keep going. Get up, let's go again. Get up, let's keep doing this because I'm transforming you by the Spirit of the Lord. If you keep listening and you keep trusting, I'm creating life in you and I'm transforming you into the same image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. And then the finally, for this comes from the Lord who is what? The Spirit. And we could go, I wish I had time to preach all of that, but I don't. So what's the answer for a fresh start? Is it a gym membership? Is it that you, you need to, you need to clean your mouth up? If you clean your mouth up in 217, does that mean that you're going to be alive? I know a lot of people who aren't Christians that don't necessarily talk with a bad mouth. Or maybe you, you get rid of this, this secret sin in your life and you finally tackle this thing and you get a handle on it. You've got this under control. Does that mean that you're going to be alive? No, I ain't. Uh, there's a whole lot of sins that I ain't done in in many years. But let me tell you something. That alone don't make me alive. I can be a good person and still be dead. I can be a good person and still be dead. So what's the answer? It's not to resolve to try harder. Let's go finish up in Revelation chapter three, verses two. He said in Revelations chapter 3, verse 2, here's the first thing you need to do if you're going to get a fresh start. The first thing you got to do is what was so hard for many of you to do this morning. What's those first two words? You know, when I was a kid, I'm sure most people did, but especially when I was a teenager, I reached a point in my life that I loved to sleep. Literally, I loved sleep. I just wanted to sleep. And I was in love with it. And I can remember whenever uh, I was young, my mama would come in there and she would lay the alarm clock because I'd set the alarm. And even whenever I had a job to go to when I was younger, I can remember the alarm sitting there. Brruh, brruh. Y'all remember those alarm clocks? Anybody have one? I had one of those. And my mom would come in there and she'd take the alarm clock and she would set it on my ear. And I can remember I would sleep through it. And then she would come in and she'd already cut the light off and then she'd start blinking the light back and forth. And I can remember when the light would come on, it would hurt my eyes. And she'd say, wake up, wake up. I'd take the covers and I'd throw them over my head to get back in the darkness because I didn't like the light that got in my eyes. So I didn't want to wake up. But what Jesus is telling us here is that you have to learn when it's time to wake up. I can remember whenever I first got married, um, they moved me to First Shea. And I hated first shift because I, I slept late. So I hated first shift. And so um, I was working at Gabriel Ride Control then. And um, I had to be there. They called me in early that morning. I had to be there at 5:30. Well, I set my alarm and I told myself, I'm gonna get up, I'm, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get up. Well, about seven o'clock, I look up. I'm two and a half hours late for work. So I get up and I didn't, and I just jumped in as clothes, I ran as fast as I could, I got to work, and I said, I'm so sorry. My supervisor looked at me and said, that's okay, just don't let it happen again. And I began to think to myself, man, if I get fired from this job, I can't pay my bills. I'm a married man. I got a wife now. I got things to take care of. I can't lose this job. And so, you know, it's funny how a little motivation can cause you mentally to be able to do things that you weren't able to do before. My mama could come in there and cut that light on or put that alarm clock on my ear, and I wouldn't move other than put the covers over my head. But my daddy could say my name from the other end of the house and my feet were on the floor before he had time to take his first step. Today, I got in bed last night, I don't know, about 4 o'clock this morning, so I'm running on just a few hours sleep, but I don't even count them anymore because there's one thing that I've trained myself and I've learned. When it's time to get up, guess what? it's time to get up. Don't matter if you've only had an hour of sleep, 30 minutes of sleep, two hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. When it's time to get up, get up. And mentally, today, I go from that guy who used to couldn't do that to a guy today that now, I wake up when it's time to wake up because I know that this is what I have to do. And so what Jesus is telling us is this, guys, you've spent too much time being defeated because you won't wake up. You need to recognize where you're at and be able to recognize that the way you've been doing it and all these things you've been trying to do and working so hard to do, is it working for you? You know why? Because you don't have the strength. You don't have the power. And so here's what Jesus says. Wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes. See your condition. And strengthen what remains. Here's what I love about Jesus. He's saying, listen... I may have just told you that it's dead, but you know who I am? I'm the one that gives life to the dead. So here's what I'm telling you. There's still hope. Wake up, open your eyes, recognize where you're at, recognize what it takes to get out, and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. What would make it complete not just cleaning up your mouth, not just doing, uh, getting rid of some secret sins and getting a hold of some things, but doing them by the strength that God provides so that only God can get the glory. So that when you come out of this thing, the only thing you can say is, God delivered me. He did it. <laughs> I tried. I worked so hard. I had so much motivation. I had so many people rooting for me to do this or, 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 or maybe just for myself. I want to do it for myself so bad. I couldn't do it. He said, why don't you start listening to the Helper? Why don't you start connecting yourself to the source of life and stop quenching it? Let's look at the way that the Apostle Paul explained this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, i got two more scriptures I'm going to read very quickly. Let's go through these quick. I want to keep my promise this morning. Chapter 5, verse 8, look what he says. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in what? In the Lord. Walk then as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What do you think he means right there? He means listen to the Spirit of God. Try to discern, this is pleasing to God, this is not. I'm not doing it by my power, but I hear what He's telling me and I'm going to follow Him because I trust Him. Is any of this making sense to you? Are you seeing how 2017 can be different from you just by you quitting trying and listen to the One who wants to give you the power? To overcome. Let's keep reading. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, And Christ will what? He'll shine on you. So verse 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So here's what he's saying in a nutshell. If you want to discern what is pleasing to God, if you will look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but walk, but, but as wise, if you want to make the best use of your time, the only way you're going to do this is by being filled with the Spirit of God. By trusting Him, listening to Him, and understanding that Jesus promised Him to you and if you are a believer and you ask for it, He will give it to you. And then all you got to do is listen. So let's go back just a little bit. Um, the second point again comes from Revelations chapter 3. This is my only other point. I only got two points. First thing, wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes to the light. And then number three, or verse three, number two, remember then what you received and heard. Notice what Jesus said. Remember what you receive. You received something from God. And you heard something from Him, God. And you need to keep it. And you need to repent because you haven't kept it. And so, the last scripture at all, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, starting at verse 20. Listen to what this says. But that is not the way that you learn Jesus Christ if indeed or assuming that you have heard about Jesus and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created. How's this new self put on? It's created. Created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I'm gonna keep reading, but I want you to remember, it would seem like Paul is saying to you, you gotta try harder. You gotta get rid of this and you gotta get on this. It would seem like that's what Paul is saying. But you're missing the most important ingredient to do this. So let's keep reading. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So stop lying. Be angry and do not sin. So there is a way for you to be angry and sin. And there is a way for you to be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, do an honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone else in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and is fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And look at verse 30. And do not grieve the what? The Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. So here's the way Paul ends this thing. The only way that you complete this process of putting off and putting on is by not grieving or other versions say, you've probably heard it say what? Do not what? Quench. Somebody said it do not quench the Holy Spirit of God what does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit of God? it means what do you do when you quench something if you want got a thirst and you want it quenched what do you got to do? you got to douse something on it or if you got a fire and you want to quench the fire you douse throw water on it and here's what he's saying the problem and the reason why so many of us are dead Christians is not because we're not trying hard enough, It's not because you don't have fruit. It's because when the Spirit talks to you and He is talking, you know what you do? You quench it. You grieve it. You push it to the side you know He's telling you that this is not where you belong, and this is not the way that you should talk, and this is not the things that you should do, and this is so unhealthy for you and your family, and, and this is something that is not godly and does not bring glory to God, and you hear all of those voices, and you know what you do? You ignore it. You act like it's not there. You look past it. I want to make you a promise. If you want to be dead in 2017, keep doing that. Keep doing that and you will be dead. But if you want a fresh start, this is my end. If you want a fresh start for 2017, remember this. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every moment that you are willing to listen to His Holy Spirit when He says... You know that's not right. You know that's not where you belong. You know that's not pleasing to God. You know that's not the will of God. You know that's unwise. He who has the seven spirits of God wants to teach you. He wants to give you understanding. He wants to counsel you. He wants to give you knowledge. He wants to give you strength. He wants to teach you the fear of God. And if you want to be alive in 2017, you don't need to try harder. You don't need to work harder. You need to do one thing. You need to listen harder. And you need to obey. when you hear it. He's transforming you from one glory to another into a new creation. And it ain't by what you do. It's by what you listen and trust in that He will do to you. When you do that, this walk really ain't as hard as we make it out to be. We just trust and obey. Joe would stand this morning. We're going to have a little time of invitation. <clears throat> I don't know what God has spoke to you from His Word this morning, but this is the living and powerful, the living and active Word of God. And it will accomplish the purpose that He sent it out to do. So I'm praying this morning that whatever He spoke to you about, that you would just trust Him. Whether you This is just wood and carpet. I don't want you to feel like... People understand that when they come up here, it, it ain't some special power in this place. No. The power is in the fact that the Bible says, if you will humble yourself in the sight of God, He will lift you up. And so it's a place for us to be able to literally say, God in front of man and everybody. I bow myself before you. I surrender to you. I humble myself before you. I'm just asking you, lift me up. So whatever it is that He spoke to you this morning, whether you do it here, you do it there, you do it standing in your pew, let Him do it. And you talk to Him right now and get it worked out. One can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood